This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every Tuesday, by the great John Taylor of Fangraphs up there in Manhattan, New York. John, good afternoon. How are you? Doing good. Uh, Hello from snowy Manhattan. Well, sort of kind of snowy. It's only snowing a little bit, but still here. Oh, is it snowy? I didn't know uh, Manhattan was was snowy today little bit of snow um it's clear in 65 yeah, I know, I know here that, today I know that, in knoxville john i know i know that twitter mostly exists to keep people updated on what the weather is like in new york mm. but yeah snowing i i i did think that that was one of the main things about twitter and also uh posting your hall of fame ballots um arguing oh, about boy. what's actually good uh i saw a blue cheese ranch argument over the weekend for wings a lot of bad opinions on that I saw. Um, the answer for anyone listening, uh, and John, if you disagree, well, then um, you can keep that to yourself. It's uh, blue cheese. There's no need I, for ranch I, ever. I, I have no, I have no feelings on wing dip. Oh, interesting. Are you not a wing person? Yeah, I, I wings are okay. I usually eat them without any kind of dip, though. Oh, I think you would say without any kind of seasoning or anything. You're just like eating some dry, tasteless ones. I. I I don't think it's possible to eat wings without seasoning. Aren't you just eating like just like boiled chicken at that point? I mean, yeah, no, you can. Trust me. I like, got a friend who made some, and he didn't have anything else, and he was just like, "If you want some chicken, I got some chicken wings." But it was literally just like straight wings, just chicken. Yeah, just hundred okay. percent. Yeah, no seasoning, no anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love wings. A very big garlic parmesan wing person. Love me some garlic parm. Okay. Like some Cajun. Uh, lemon pepper's okay. It's hit or miss. Lemon pepper just depends on the place. But, um, yeah, team flats all day. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of MLB news we got to get through today because a lot's happened. It's picking up a little bit. Not a lot of people left. Um, the craziness that was the Mets fiasco last week feels like 19 years ago based on how the world changes. But, um yeah, a lot to, lot to get through. Don't forget, you can listen on ChaseOnUsPodcast.com. You can go to Blue Wire and check out all the great podcasts on Blue Wire. I, my podcast being among them. Um, follow John at Jay Taylor. Follow myself at Chase Thomas and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts right now. Pause it and do it if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Um, the Nationals keep signing vets. They keep doing it. Dudes being dudes. I love it. Zimmerman back in the fold. Now they signed Brad Hand. Um, we know about their bullpen issues in the past, but they also won a World Series with a terrible bullpen. So I don't know if this is a positive step for them because if I'm the Nationals, I'm trying to make that thing even worse. Let's see what uh, 
Bob Wickham is doing. Let's let's bring him back. Let's go see uh, what uh, I'm trying to think of some other uh, bad relievers or old school relievers I could just bring back to just blow games. Um, hmm, Brad Lidge, what is he up to these days? Um, John, what do you make of Brad Hand signing with the Nationals? Uh, like you said, it's it's just a bullpen that needs depth, and why not? I mean, Hand only cost ten point five million. He's still pretty good. Like I know people made a lot about his declining velocity, and that's certainly something you worry about. But at the same time, his slider is still really good. He's still really good against left-handed hitters. I don't know that I want him closing games, um, just because again, with that profile of declining velocity and just you know, he's merely average against right-handed hitters. Like I, I'm not sure that you really want him. You know, in those late inning high leverage situations, he's going to be pitching high. I guess he'd be pitching high leverage no matter what. Mm. Um, you could do a lot worse, and I think for the Nats it makes sense because bullpens are just the kind of thing where you want as much kind of high caliber depth as you can get. You know, because if there is something like hand just turns out not to be any good, well, then at least you know you're or not a hand that turns out not to be any good. But you know, if you don't get a bounce back from from Dan Hudson or if Tanner Rainey gets hurt or something like that, you know, you want that extra arm there just in case. So. I think it makes perfect sense for the Nationals uh, to do that. And, yeah, it's just one of those many, like, kind of just solid bullpen additions that contending teams kind of need to make. You know, like, same thing, I think, with the Red Sox and Ottavino. I know we're going to talk about that in a bit. But although that's that's a little bit of a different situation. (laughs) I can't wait. You're going to love it, John. You're going to love it. Um, Yeah, I think the Nationals are just quietly having a solid offseason. Um, it's hard to forecast where they're at in terms of the hierarchy in the NL East. A lot of things still have to go right for them, but um, they still have a lot of talent on this roster. Still a lot of vets, um, and I still think they're a. I still think they're the leader in the clubhouse for a uh, Chris Bryant trade. Um, it would still not surprise me at all if they were the team that ended up trading for him. Um, the Mets have reportedly made an offer to Trevor Bauer. Um, he's still. Sitting out there, what do you make of the Mets and Trevor Bauer? Is that a relationship that should happen? I mean, you could say yes, if only just because like there's no downside to getting another good pitcher, especially for mm-hmm. a Mets team that you know. I, mean, I know they already have Degrom and Carrasco and Stroman, and eventually they'll get Noah Syndergaard back, and they have David Peterson, who's pretty solid, and they have the corpse of Stephen Matz. The corpse of Stephen Matz. There's someone else I'm forgetting in that in that group, but mm-hmm. I I don't know off the top of my head. Um, Regardless, though, it's – no, did they sign someone? I'll look it up real quick. Seth Lugo? No, I am assume, I am assuming he's going to go back to the bullpen, which is probably where he belongs anyway. Yeah. He's, he's just he's – just, he's uh, produced much better as a reliever than he has as a starter, and I think it makes more sense to keep him out there. Oh, uh, Joey Lucchese, who okay. they got from the Padres in, that, in the Joe Musgrove trade. Well, I, I imagine he's kind of on the same level as Matt's. is kind of just like a fifth starter, maybe a sixth starter if everything turns out well. Um, regardless, like on a on the – purely on the field level, yeah, add Bauer. He's a good pitcher, and you can never have enough good pitchers. On the other side, there's all the deeply unpleasant stuff around Trevor Bauer, and especially coming off uh, everything with the Jared Porter stuff, you know, and the the just kind of gross nonsense and the way that all played out. I I don't know. I mean, I have tried to avoid the Trevor Bauer discourse because, I I mean, maybe it There is no discourse, though. There, like that's the other thing. It's like there's no discourse. Guess, there, there are just, like, there's just, just two sides. Avoid... People really either hate him, like really, really hate him, or just like, uh, I don't give a shit. I, I, who cares? He's, he's baseball's Elon Musk, as far as I yes. can tell. Like he's he's got an army of like 
just deluded nerds who think that like because they stick up for him online they're going to be best buddies now or something <laughs> or that an attack on trevor bauer means that like i don't even know i don't i don't particularly understand it but it's also worth noting that the fans he has i don't want to say he's cultivated his fan base but that the people who do support him generally tend to be kind of an unpleasant group of human beings um and that can't be overlooked and i think that's just part of the just the trevor bauer package at this point that beyond whatever he does on the mound is that he's just kind of an unpleasant, not even person. Because I don't know Trevor Bauer personally, but just everything around him is just so exhausting yeah. in this like very just, you get the sense like it doesn't have to be this way, that this is all a cult, like a, a calculated kind of, image on his part that this is how he wants to be which would then reflect that this is kind of this if nothing else he believes some of the stuff he goes on about regardless i i don't know i mean again purely on the field mm-hmm. um sure the mets should do it i don't know that they're going to because i think that would be in a require a rather large outlay of money unless bauer just wants to take a one-year pillow deal and try again next winter um and which then, we I, could then, not roll out i that seems like a very can't triple bauer not, thing and that's a weird thing because he originally had said um, before he reached free agency that he wanted just to sign one-year deals for the rest of his career mm-hmm. because he wanted the freedom to just change teams if he needed to. So I'm not going to rule it out, but at the same time, I, I do kind of find it hard to believe that, especially when you when you consider that the Mets are going to have to at some point um, not find the money for a Francisco Lindor extension because they shouldn't need to find money for that. Steve Cohen is worth billions of dollars. But that if you want to make a big financial outlay going forward, I would much rather give a lot of money to Francisco Lindor than to Trevor Bauer. Um, and so I just I wonder then if, if the Mets are just going to instead do something like a little more like I, I think someone I know we're going to mention something like a Garrett Richards probably would have made more sense for them as a kind of just fit, keep filling in the back of the rotation. Well, um, no, no, no. He's got to go seven and nine with a four point three four FIP in Boston this season. That's that's his trajectory. That's what he's got to do. Fair. I do think eventually. I do think that I, I would be surprised if the Mets get Bauer. I do wonder if this is him or his agent Rachel Luba trying to just leak some something to kind of get his market going again because it really doesn't seem like there's that many teams interested in him at this point. Um, which I, is I do silly too because the- it's like we're overthinking some part of this. Which is like I watched Trevor Bauer in the playoffs this year. Watch we did the Braves. I I watched everything like like you said the whole package of him mocking. The Braves as he's coming off the field. Like, that dude was dominant um, against a very good Braves team. He's He's, a very good pitcher. Yeah. If you're a contender, you need him. I just have to imagine that his asking price has probably been very high and that that has probably led to a lot of teams going thanks but no thanks on top of everything else with him. And that's kind of the thing. When you're Trevor Bauer, like, can you really afford to price yourself out of a team's plans when you're already kind of a question mark in a lot of other ways? Um so, yeah, I mean, this may end up being a situation a la JT Realmuto where they're really only just like two or three teams interested. And so the agent behind it has to just keep pumping out rumors to try to get the process going again. But I don't know. I, I think at this point, I'm honestly kind of curious if Bauer does just take a one year deal at this point and tries again next winter. I mean, I haven't looked at who will be part of the free agent pitching market then. Um, certainly, I, I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. But I have to imagine, regardless of who's on the market, if Bauer has another good year, he'll, again, be near the top of the market, and it'll be happening in a non-pandemic offseason. Although, at this point, Major League Baseball just seems to come up with new reasons every winter for why no one's getting paid. So maybe it doesn't matter at this point. 
the Yankees trade for for Jamison. They get they get Garrett Cole's old buddy. Um, <clears throat> the Yankees are quietly having just an, an another great off season, I would say, John Taylor. I think it's been good. I mean, with Tyon and with Kluber, they're clearly betting on upside over. Um, Let's also go ahead and group here. in Masahiro Tanaka uh, reportedly going back to Japan. That's a part of this, too. I think we yeah. need to include that in this discussion. And, and just quickly, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I tweeted about it that I was surprised that no one was interested in a guy who is at worst a league average starter and has been above average every, like all like six out of seven seasons in Major League Baseball. But I do wonder if for Tanaka it was Yankees or bust. Yeah. If, if, the, if New York didn't want him back, then he was just going to go home. Because I believe he's... 32 I want to say he's, he's in his he's in his 30s he has a family you know that is injured that you know he goes back to Japan every offseason he has a family he has kids he has 32 so he'll, so he'll turn 33 next no, next uh, November or this coming November rather you know I, I wonder if he just wants to go home you know because he'll get paid handsomely in NPB he'll go he'll be immediately one of the top starters in that league again any team he signs with theoretically at least will probably be a playoff contender you know, he, he gets to be close to his family again throughout the entirety of the year as opposed to just the off season and then whenever he can see them during the season. I, I don't know if the Tanaka family lives in in the United States during the season, but regardless. Um but, but as for what the Yankees are doing, I mean, you could argue that they still have a lot of question marks in that rotation beyond Garrett Cole, because even with who they brought in and Kluber and Tyon, there's not really a, a guarantee that you're gonna get terribly much out of those guys. You know, I know we. I think we talked about Kluber last week, and he has barely pitched in the last two years. You know, didn't look all that great when he did pitch. Uh, Tyon, I think, is somewhat different. Obviously, he's coming back from a lot of injuries, cancer, you know, com- combination of things. But I do think that he is a good fit for New York based on just the pure stuff he has, and the fact that I mean, he's already talked about. You know, he's a big time pitching nerd, as I would imagine any friend of Garrett Cole's would be. And he's already talking about stuff like throwing his fastball higher in the strike zone. I know the Pirates have been, I don't know if this is still the case as it was in a race steerage. They were a team that kind of stubbornly stuck two fastballs low in the zone, despite the fact that that doesn't really seem to work anymore. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see what the Yankees pitching stat or pitching coaches and development can do with Tyon. But it's definitely an upside. It's definitely a high upside, high risk play for them. Because there's a good, I mean, if Tyon's on, they have a number two starter. If he's not, well, I mean, and this is the thing, like behind Cole, you, you, these, like I said, you have a lot of question marks. You have uh, Jordan Montgomery, who's fine. You have Domingo Herman, who didn't pitch at all last year, obviously. Uh, you have Davey Garcia, who's a rookie. You have Luis Severino coming back off Tommy John eventually. You have Corey Kluber, like we noted, or, like coming off injury. You have Tyon coming off injury. Like there, is, there are a lot of question marks there. Which is, I guess makes it surprising to me that they wouldn't find room for Tanaka one way or the other, because that does feel like 150 quality innings you can count on night, like start in and start out, and there is real value to that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe the Yankees just felt like they would rather kind of go with the cheap upside plays, because that's the other part of it. Kluber's only going to cost them $11 million, and Tyon is um, just looking it up real quick to see where he is. I don't believe he's ARB eligible yet. If he is, this is. Yeah, he's not yet. Ar- he, this was his first year of arbitration eligibility, and he's only going to get paid $2.2 million this year. Mm. So clearly, I think the Yankees decided that what for Tanaka probably would have cost for one year in a multi-year deal, they would rather have the combo of Kluber and Tyon, um, which I guess makes sense. But again, it, 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 is, it is a high-risk move on their part, but one that could really, really pay off if, if he's healthy and if they can 
you know, get him pitching in a in, in the way that because I mean, this is a guy who's you know a former number two overall pick, like yep. his talent coming out of his every core, like you know, this is and the Yankees have the old Indian staffer, they have the old Indian yeah, they pitching have, guru, yeah, Eric Cressy. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm really excited to see what they can do with him, but it is a risky play for them that in this off season they you know they brought back Lemayhew. They added two high upside pitchers in Kluber and in and, and Tyon, but that rotation still does feel kind of shaky to me. Yeah, the Blue Jays get their man George Springer. They were really looking to make a splash this winter. They have a bunch of young talent, as we talked about on the Blue Jays preview podcast that you can go check out from a couple weeks back. But um, there was some weird stuff with Michael Brantley, who was also apparently coming, but then he ultimately decided to stay in Houston. Um, what do you make of? Springer committing to the Jays long term and also Brantley returning to Houston. Springer, I think, of all the free agents who were out there, I think was probably maybe not the one they needed the most. I think if I were I think if I had been in charge of Toronto's offseason, I probably would have focused on LeMayhew just because that they have no starter at third base right now unless they move Vlad Guerrero back over to third base, which I was under the impression they didn't want to do that because he's just not capable defensively there. Regardless, Springer is a good pickup. He's a a good defensive outfielder, which they need because all three of their outfielders previously, Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Grichuk, and Lourdes Gurriel, are all terrible defensive outfielders. He's a great uh, table setter at the top of the lineup. He's got power. The last two years of that contract are probably not going to be pretty, uh, given that Springer is already 30, and it's definitely a big financial commitment. But at the same time, the Jays' only real major money outlay from here through the next two or three years, I think two at this point, is Hyunjin Ryu. Everyone else is still on cheap rookie deals, entering arbitration. You know, there's they have a lot of payroll space to play with going forward. And this is what you do. This is what financial flexibility is supposed to mean. That when you have all these young guys making very little money, you can then go out and do stuff like give $150 million to George Springer, especially if he makes your team. And that's the thing. The Jays are in that place where every win is that much more valuable because of where they sit in terms of like the ranks of contenders. You know, the AL East is a beast, and I don't think the Jays are realistically AL East contenders. I think the Yankees are, you know, probably the favorites there with the Rays uh, a little bit behind. But assuming that we do not get the expanded playoffs, and for now that's not the case, um, then every win matters more to the Jays in the wild card chase, you know, where they're going to be facing Tampa Bay, whoever the second team in the AL West is, whoever the second team in the AL Central is, you know, maybe the Red Sox if they can get it going again. You know, every win counts. Everyone counts even more at, for where for where they are, and so I think that's you know that's where Springer I think helps the most because the upgrade from from say Grichuk in center field to him, and the upgrade he provides the lineup generally is is worth it just for these few years. I mean, again, it'll it'll hurt four years down the road, but that's four years down the road. You figure out your problems then. You don't worry about them now. As for Brantley, I get the impression that he probably once he got his offer from Toronto, probably took it back to Houston and said match it or improve it, and I stay here. Um, it was a little weird to see it happen. We don't normally get that kind of no. stuff. But at the same time, like, um, we had, uh, I believe it was Dan Samborski write about Brantley over at Fangraphs. It was, it was either Dan or Craig. No, it was Craig Edwards, sorry, who noted that Brantley's just honestly a better fit in Houston than he is in Toronto. I noted that, you know, the Toronto's outfield is bad defensively, but Brantley's pretty much a mediocre defender at best at this point, and he's already 32 years old, so he's not going to be getting any better in that regard. 
Um, if you want him playing DH, then you're basically squeezing out Rowdy Telez or Vlad Guerrero. You're creating roster crunches at that point because you already have Springer. Whereas in Houston, Jordan Alvarez is the DH, and Brantley can just play right field or left field, either one, because the, the Astros are kind of thin in the outfield right now. They, you know, they lost Springer, obviously. They lost Josh Reddick, you know. I kind of think they had to bring him back essentially just to keep that lineup stable and to and to fill that corner outfield spot, especially because the rest of the corner outfielders available are not a particularly pretty bunch. So I think he makes more sense for Houston than he does for Toronto. And I think Craig also made the point in that article that Houston probably wishes they just offered him the qualifying offer because they ended up paying him, I believe, $16 million two years as opposed to what it would have just been around $18.5 million for one year. Um, would have been a little more flexibility at the cost of a little more money. But regardless, I think it's a good move for Houston to get him back. They needed a good corner outfielder, and Brantley is, if nothing else, even if he's not a great defender and he runs like a glacier, he's still a very good hitter in his, in his, if he's healthy. And he has been healthy of late. He's, he seems to have found uh, a new sense of, or new, a new level of durability after all those debilitating injuries a few years ago. If I were the Astros, I simply would have re-signed both Brantley and George Springer. Because they're both good, and you're still trying to contend. Um, it's funny for as, for as much as we crap on the NL Central and deservedly, the AL West winner this year is going to be like 86 wins. Yeah, between Oakland, Houston, and 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 the Angels, there's a there's not a lot of you don't get the sense either of any three any of those three teams are really just going to kind of pull ahead of the pack. But speaking of teams be. that just just signed Trevor Bauer because you're just wasting another year of uh, Mike Trout. The the Los Angeles Angels, just do it. Like, Tanaka, him, whatever. I, just... I, I think given the moves that they've made, I think I don't think they're going to be in the Bauer market. No, I don't think they point. will, it's, but they should. There's no reason for them not to. They should. To I mean, so so should so should Toronto, obviously. That's that's a team I probably should have mentioned when talking about yeah. Bowers. He makes a lot of sense for them. Again, as a guy where you can afford giving him a big contract because you have all that future payroll space, and with a rotation that's, pretty meh overall beyond Ryu. Like, yeah, sure, like maybe Robbie Ray is good. You have Nate Pearson. Well, why not just get one more, especially an arm who could just eat innings, because that's, if nothing else, Bauer is an innings devourer. Like, why not he might just not be a Justin a guy Trudeau who, guy, though. We got We can't rule that out. Yeah, I don't know how Bauer would enjoy Canada. That's, <laughs> that's definitely worth wondering. But, like, I, I can't no, wait for the, the first tweet about the bag milk. I don't think it would go The Angels... Well. The Angels also make plenty of sense for Bauer, mm. but given them who was who the starter they, they just signed recently? Who did they sign? I feel like there, over the last two weeks there have been like 35 minor yeah. signings, and the I Angels definitely made one of them. Um, Jose Quintana, that's Okay, yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I just don't get the sense that there's much of an appetite. Again, may, maybe, and not to dwell too much on Bauer, but maybe there is. there does just come a point in like a week or so where he's like, fine, screw it, I'll just take the best one-year deal I can get and try again next winter. Because, again, he's already said that that's kind of how he wanted to approach free agency anyway, so regardless. Um, Ottavino traded to Boston. Garrett Richard signs with Boston. Um, how excited are you as a Red Sox fan to enjoy this stacked rotation in Boston this season? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for as much as like Richards and Ottavino don't really move the needle one way or the other, I think Ottavino, honestly, more than Richards um, for the bullpen. The bullpen definitely needed more help. I think, if nothing else, the moves they've made, Ottavino, Richards, uh, Kike Hernandez, um, Hunter Renfro, they all at least raised the floor. Because if there was a big problem with the Red Sox last year, it was that there was no floor in a lot of cases. It was just no depth. 
and a lot of really bad options to fill. And granted, like the guys they've signed, especially Richards, nowhere near the picture of like ideal health. But at the same time, like I appreciate at the very least that the Red Sox front office wants a better year in 2021 than 2020, and that they want these guys who can at the very least provide adequate offense or or innings instead of having to hand them to guys who are just clearly not capable. Mm. That's a bonus. And I, honestly, the weird thing is that was pretty much the plan in 2013, too, and then they just went off and won a World Series. I don't know if maybe Heim Bloom is kind of aiming for something similar. I kind of doubt it because I don't think this team has the upside on, on it. That you know, there's A lot would have to go right, and there's still some pieces that need to be filled. They really don't have a solution to first base right now. Um, the outfield, I really... Like I really hope they bring back Jackie Bradley Jr. He just makes the most sense there. They could use another starting pitcher too, but no. I mean, if nothing else, like I'm just to imagine the hope too is that if Richards and Ottavino are having good seasons, but the Red Sox get to the deadline and they're you know ten games out of a playoff spot, they can be flipped for prospects, especially Ottavino. Relievers will always bring something back at the deadline. Richards, Richards might too, because the, I know the Padres basically used him as a reliever in the postseason slash toward the end of the season. You know, he has really good numbers against right-handers. He might make sense for a team that maybe wants to use him as a two-inning guy during the postseason. Regardless, I think those guys could have value one way or the other for, for Boston. I do Again, I do appreciate that they have at least decided we don't want to be as bad as we were last year. So I'll, after everything that the Red Sox did last year, I will take base competency. I will take average production. That's at least better than having to watch the likes of Chris Mazza and Zach Godley just get pummeled night in and night out. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. Um, Thank you. The Chicago White Sox in 2020 finished third in the AL Central. We have talked a lot about them on the edges this offseason, about what they've done. Just a blistering offseason for the Chicago White Sox. Um, You're, I think, more... I, I think you. it's fair to characterize your sentiments on the White Sox as you're higher on them than myself. Coming into 2021, um, did they get better this offseason? Yeah, I don't think there's any real question about that to me. They got the best reliever in free agency in, uh, in Liam Hendricks. They added to their rotation in Lance Lynn. I know they had to give up Dane Dunning for it, but I, I would rather have... For the 2021 White Sox, excuse me, I'd rather have... Uh, Lance Lynn than, than, than Dane Dunning. Um, they are probably going to get Michael Kopech back at some point. They're going to have hopefully a full season out of Aaron Bummer. Um, I, I like, I mean, I know I, I, Adam Eaton is, I, I don't understand why this team doesn't want to have a good right fielder ever. Like Adam Eaton is certainly not the solution there, but I do think they have improved themselves. I do think that it's probably neck and neck between them and the Twins for first place. They're probably separated by a game or two at this point. Um, I think if you're Chicago and I, you know, the way you kind of like make sure you are better, I think they still need. Ideally, I don't know if they there are any. Springer still would have. Michael Brantley would have made a lot of sense for this team. Like, a lot, a lot of sense. Like, I would much rather have Michael Brantley than Adam Eaton, but for whatever reason, the White Sox don't want to pay for a quality outfielder. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they have a good – They have a bull, honestly, I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting is their bullpen, because that's a really good bullpen on paper right now. Um, I think the only question that beyond the outfield is a rotation. You know, you have Giolito, Keiko, and Lynn, but beyond that is Cease and Kopech. 
Um, not exactly the the most steady group there. It's a lot of upside in those two, but there's a lot of a lot of uh, potential downside too. And they don't really have starting pitching depth in the minors to kind of make up for that. You know, I might like to see them sign another veteran starter just yeah. in case, just to have a guy there because uh, I think they're a little thin in that in that in that vein. But otherwise, I, you know, I, I like Gio Gonzalez another go. Why not? I think Gio Gonzalez should be a White Sox and a White Sox in perpetuity, just yes. until he doesn't want to play anymore. Um, I like what they've done this offseason with the obviously very large and very notable exception of the utter, utter dipshit they hired to manage them. <laughs> I know we've talked about this. I know we've talked about the fact that Tony La Russa represents a huge, giant question mark because if there's anything, as I saw ha- firsthand uh, with the 2012 Red Sox, if there's anything that can absolutely nuke a team, no matter how talented they are, it's a bad manager. I saw that firsthand with the way Bobby Valentine just sank the 2012 Red Sox, and boy, does Tony Larusa have a lot of 2012 Bobby Valentine potential, who's just... I still don't understand that higher beyond just Jerry Reinsdorf throwing his weight around. I I know you are... I know you've, you've talked about, too, that you just think that that's a real, real potential to just make everything go terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah, like this could... If it goes really bad, then Anderson could be like, I want you to trade me. Like, that's on the table in June. I do think, though, that if everything goes poorly with Tony Larusa, I do think he would be fired, like, at the end of the year. I think he makes it through the year barring a gigantic scandal, but if the team just collapses under him and it's very clear that the players on the team, if it's more than just Anderson, obviously, a bunch of guys are just like, I will not play for this man anymore, then he will get fired. It'll just be a waste of a year in the process, but I don't think that the White Sox, for as stubborn as Reinsdorf can be, I don't think they're going to let Tony La Russa be the boss of everything. Um, I would worry about that more if this were like a Bill O'Brien in Houston situation, or I guess whatever is now going on in Houston situation, where he's not just the head coach, he's also in charge of, you know, uh, player acquisition. But it, it just seems to me like La Russa is basically just there to manage. Um, maybe he has the ear of Reinsdorf when it comes to guys I would like, guys I would want, but at the same time, I... I just can't imagine that this team, especially the front office, it seems to get it for the most part, would let themselves be sunk by Tony LaRusso going forward. So, but yeah, I, I think there's incredible blow-up potential there that he just ends up being a, entirely the wrong person for this job in more ways than one. Interesting. So, wh- who do you think, if you had to guess, who has the highest WRC Plus this season in Chicago, who do you think it is? a good question um i wouldn't bet against abreu again if only because he's kind of the most complete hitter on that roster um i wouldn't bet it i don't that just he was bonkers good last year i i don't know i i'm not as sold on abreu like it, i guess it's probably Abreu, but like i if everything goes right it's anderson and he might just be like i'm gonna play so well that I'm just like I'm just pissed off about who's our manager right now. Like I'm just gonna go yeah, balls I mean, I to think, the wall. I think Anders I think Anderson's a good bet. I think Eloy Jimenez is a good bet. I think um yeah, Tony Grandal. Um Yeah, I, I just I just feel like Abreu is probably your safest bet in that group. But I do like Anderson because I mean, like you said, there's there's a lot there's just a lot to like about him. Um the only thing is you really do wish, like you just look you know, looking at last year's White Sox. You really do wish that this team had a smidgen more plate patience. Like Yasmani Grandal is really the only Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu 
are really the only guys who actually take walks on this team. Um, and I guess Robert too, but less so. But the Robert just undoes that all because he strikes out a lot, and so does Yon Mankata, and so does um, Anderson, and so does, you know, there's some play patience issues here that I think kind of make it hard to say, oh, because I, I think, like, on a pure talent level, you'd probably pick, like, Jimenez or Robert because they're just the two most talented players on this team offensively. But at the same time, you want them to start showing some semblance of, I know what to swing at, you know, I know what, what pitch I can do damage on. Or, I mean, they, they can definitely do damage when, when they connect. But it's just a matter of, like, you know, who who is going to basically figure out first, like, hey, you know, this is what I need to do to succeed offensively. You know, this is what, like, I'm going to find plate patience. I'm going to find plate discipline because it's it's not really there yet for them. And granted, they're young. There's so many young guys on this team, you know. Grandal and Abreu are both over 30, but that's pretty much it. You know, Mancata's 25, Jimenez is 23, Robert's 22, Tim Anderson's only 27, Nick Madrigal's 23. Like, you know, there are going to be some growing pains with some of those guys, but the talent there is just, oof. I, I think that's just why I'm so high on the White Sox, because the talent level is just ridiculous ridiculous in the lineup and then you add in what they have the top three of their rotation what they have in their bullpen like there is just a lot of talent here and I just do feel like talent generally wins out you know even if it might take some time for it to kind of bubble to the surface yeah well I when I think about what this team can be and when you compare them to the twins like that's what it were like the Indians are out we can cross off the Royals, we can cross off the Tigers. It's you. It's probably going to come down to these two teams. When you look at what we saw in our conversation about the Twins, and then you look at the White Sox, where they're at right now, without another veteran pitcher, would you put them as the favorite, or do you still think it's the Twins division until we actually see otherwise? I mean, I know that the... the the usual take is, you know, the the champ stays a champ until they're dethroned. I just like the White Sox. I think more at this point. I think I think Minnesota's had a pretty mediocre offseason too. I mean, Jay Happ and, and Hansel Rose is not really a division winner make. You know, I, I think I think the difference to me is if the Twins resign Nelson Cruz, I think they're my AL Central favorite. I think he just makes that lineup that much tougher. Or if the Twins somehow sign like Bauer, but I don't think that's going to happen. But as it currently stands, I think I just like the White Sox a little more. I don't think it's a big difference. I think we're talking about maybe a win or two, ultimately. But I just think the White Sox have – I just like what the White Sox are doing better. I think yeah. if that makes sense. And both these two teams are going to benefit so much from the division they play in. Um, they're going to accumulate a yeah, lot, of, lot of wins. All, each, each of those two teams is going to beat the crap out of Detroit and Kansas City. And I, I don't really expect much out of Cleveland except for the days when Shane Bieber starts and maybe when uh, COVID denier Zach Plesak starts. But, you know, there's there's not a whole lot else. I forgot about Cleveland, that. But I think, yeah. That feels I know, it was, like forever it was a ago. Weird time. Um, but I, 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 that's the thing. Like, they're they're going to feast on the rest of the, of the AL Central, and that's definitely going to make a difference. Although, the of course, the downside is for them now, if, assuming we get closer to a normal schedule, they're gonna, you know, they're not just gonna face central teams. If we had the same schedules last year, you know, where they only face teams in the in their you know respective divisions, AL and NL, then yeah, I'm really I'm really in on the White Sox and the Twins both. But uh, that'll be less of the case this year, I, I imagine. Yeah, I think so. Um, John, your final prediction on uh, the AL Central one through five. We have wrapped up the AL Central, so uh, give me your 2021. 
AL Central predictions right now? I think White Sox, Twins, Indians, um, Royals, Tigers. Mm. I think that's how it looks for me. I'm going to go Twins, Indians, Ooh. White Sox, Royals, Tigers. See, I, I have a hard time putting Cleveland above the, the White Sox because I think Cleveland, if you look at them, they're basically a 500 team at this point. Well, they maybe really don't that. have any outfielders, which seems like a problem. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's just the hard thing because like Chicago, based on like every projection, is probably, like assuming we get a 162-game season, like somewhere in that kind of 87 to 91 win territory. So something has to go really wrong for them to finish below 500, I think. Maybe not really wrong, but something has to go wrong. Especially because Cleveland's upside is maybe like 82, 83 wins. So I just have a hard time seeing, especially because you know Cleveland is not going to be making any more free agent additions. They're not going to be making a big trade at the deadline. Well, hold on, they, they just re-signed Cesar Hernandez. Okay, fair. That's true. I, I, how could I overlook Cesar Gold Hernandez? Gold Glover, Cesar Hernandez. But... I just have a hard time because the, the Cleveland's talent level is there is not going up. You know, they're yeah. not adding guys who are going to make any realistic difference one way or the other. So, whereas the White Sox, I think not only do I think they probably add one more starting pitcher at this point, they're a team that if they're in the race are obviously going to be very active at the deadline to try to get something else, depending on what it is they need. So, I, I just have a hard time seeing Chicago falling any. I don't think either of Chicago or Minnesota, unless something goes terribly wrong, finishes any lower than second. I honestly think that I, I if you want a, a bold AL Central mm. take, I think there's a decent chance the Royals could finish ahead of Cleveland. Ooh. I don't think it's impossible. It's maybe like a twenty percent chance, but I do think that like I mean the Royals are a sneaky you know, number three. They're sneaky three. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's less that the Royals are contenders, more that I think the Royals' upside is close enough to 500 that if Cleveland gets off to a slow start or if Cleveland starts dumping veterans or, you know, if they, if they, they trade Jose Ramirez or whatever else it is, or if, say, like Bieber gets hurt, then I think you're looking at Cleveland like sliding down to fourth place. I don't think anyone challenges Detroit for fifth place because that team is just bereft of talent. That roster is really thin. You know, I think they're going to lose 100-plus games again. But, yeah, I, I can see there being an actual battle for third place between Cleveland and Kansas City, but I don't see how the top two is anything in my mind other than uh, Chicago and Minnesota unless something goes really wrong for one or both of those teams. Yeah. All right, John Taylor. We'll, we'll leave it there. Where are we uh, Where are we going next week? We're know, should we just ALS move, over, move over to yeah, move over to the AOS? Why don't we... Uh, I guess we'll start with uh, start with the Oakland A's. I know oh. they haven't really done anything this winter, but they're the number one in that division. So let's let's give them their due. I love um, Athletics Nation because like everything I read on there is just like, yeah, we're the favorite. We're going to win the division, but we're not going to do much else. Like it's just all sad. Yeah, they just resign themselves. I, I, don't, I know. Like spoiler alert: they haven't done anything this winter, and in fact, have gotten worse because they lost Liam Hendricks. So. And they're still the favorite. And they're still the favorite, which says really a lot about the rest of the AL and especially a lot about how far the angels have to climb just to get to any sort of respectability. Like how does that happen on a team with Mike Trout? Whatever. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Oakland A's next week. Looking forward to it. My friend, maybe some Trevor Bauer signings. We'll see. Um, we'll see. John Taylor, stay safe out there. Yeah, you too, man.
All right, welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by a first-timer, Vivek Jacob of Locked On Raptors. Vivek, good morning your time, sir. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I mean, we've got some snow trickling down, so I'll be staying indoors for today. But other than that, it's a good day. It's 65, no clouds in the sky here in Knoxville, Tennessee, which they refer to as uh, the Toronto of the South. Wow. Well, yeah. got nothing on Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Toronto. What If you had to sell someone who's never been to Toronto why they should go to Toronto, what would it be? One thing. No. I, hey, man. just I, I, I would say the cultural diversity, probably the biggest thing for me, the fact that you can go out and – you know, especially if, if you like eating, eating out and there's every type of cuisine that you can get. Um, the nightlife is awesome. There's sights to see. Like Toronto's a great place. I know we make jokes about the winter all the time, mm. but um, outside of, for me personally, outside of January and February, like those are the two harshest months. Outside of that, it's it's a great place to be, man. Interesting. I want to go there. Too. And I've lived in three other cities, so... Mm. I I definitely put Toronto at the top of the list. What are the other three? Um, Doha in Qatar, Dubai in the UAE, and Bangalore in India. Oh wow, interesting. Okay, yeah, world traveler. <laughs> I have not uh, not been out of the country. You you put me to shame, Vivek. Uh, you put me to shame. Um, the Toronto Raptors. They're currently seven and ten. They got off to a start from hell. I I did not watch enough of them early on to gather a strong sense of what was going on there. In your estimation, what was plaguing this? Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Team early this season. Honestly, looking back, I just feel like they had a bit of a lag in just getting accustomed to playing with each other and just being able to focus on basketball, right? Like, yeah, everyone had a training camp, but when the Raptors went to training camp, they were also trying to figure out where do we live? And we're still very much in the process of relocating to Tampa and reorganizing their lives there. So I think that had something to do with it. And then you look at all the new faces, there was a big adjustment with obviously Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka heading out to figure out new rotation. And that's the thing that we've seen change the most over the last week or so where Nick Nurse kind of knows now who he can go to and cobble together an eight, nine man rotation. So the, I'm assuming the eight or nine man is, is it just the extra three is Norman Powell, Chris Boucher and Stanley Johnson? So Stanley Johnson, Utah Watanabe, those two have entered the fold. Aaron Baines actually went out of the rotation yeah. because that's how poorly he was playing. Now he's been able to work his way back into it. So that's been solid. And Norm, he, he's been a core piece for a little while now. So I, I think Stanley Johnson and Utah Watanabe emerging are probably the two big pieces uh, that no one 
expected, I would say, going in. What have you noticed in recent weeks that's uh, changed on the court? What are is Nick Nurse doing anything differently schematically? Is he? I know you said they've adjusted the rotations a little bit. Is there been anything that you've noticed specifically that um, you like this positive development in the last two or three weeks? Well, I think one thing he's done, Nick Nurse has done, is recognize the weaknesses of this squad pretty early, and functionally, they're not who they were defensively a year or two ago. And what I mean by that is we saw so much of the schemes just constantly changing. And you had all these high-level defensive players, whether it was Marcus Gasol, Kawhi Leonard, you put them together with OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. They could go from a box on one to man, the man to a triangle and two just seamlessly. And there was that constant understanding of what, everyone was out there on the floor to do he doesn't have that luxury this season and rim protection has been a challenge dribble penetration has been a huge challenge so he's gone to a lot more switching just making it a lot easier uh, for the players to for the newer players to understand and then he's sort of scaled it back oh, with the constantly changing schemes we're, we're not seeing them go out of uh, schemes from one to another as much as we did before. Uh, There's still, you know, as much zone as you would typically expect from Nick Nurse, but I think he's just simplified things. And then offensively, too, I think there's just been a bit of a regression to the mean with some of the guys they were shooting so poorly. OG Ananobi was one of them, Norman Powell was another, and Siakam's picked up his level of play as well. So I think those are the big changes that we've seen. OG Ananobi, he's the wild card. For this group, where they're mm-hmm. going now, Giannis is off the table. You extended him this off season. Is he making a leap? Is the three point shooting real? Is he ever going to start shooting more free throws? Is point OG from summer league almost two years ago ever coming back? What are where are you at with OG? <laughs> I don't know if point OG from summer league is all the way back, but you know it's nice to see him have those possessions where he's grabbing the rebound and pushing the ball up the floor. And here and there, he's even taken the inbound and brought it up the floor. So that's nice to see. Defensively, you know you're one, uh, what you're going to get out of him. I think the three-point shot is pretty real. Like, it's been pretty consistent ever since he's been in the NBA. So I think that's for real. And that's why even initially with his struggles, you expected that to uh, get back to the mean soon enough. And it seems like it's already done that. But yeah, just his moves off the dribble, that's the biggest improvement for me. Uh, and I think... He's understanding just how patient his body can allow him to be. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of times where he'd dart to the rim and he'd try to get the shot up, almost concerned that it was going to get blocked and worried um, that he wouldn't be able to get it off uh, before then. But now I think he's understood that, hey, if I just use my body to create that separation, I don't need to worry anymore. No, no one's going to be able to block my shot. So he's using his body, creating that separation, gathering, going up with strong balance, and finishing at the rim a lot more now. Interesting. Um, the team is ninth in defensive rating as of this recording. What uh, what is Nick Nurse installing that's working right now for the for the Raptors? Yeah. So once again, I think the switching uh, has worked. Um, beyond that, I think. Having Stanley Johnson and OG Ananobi primarily defend bigs. Obviously, as I said Aaron Baines has figured back into the mix. Mm-hmm. But 
Stanley Johnson and OG Ananobi, their ability to defend bigs. We saw this especially on Sunday. You know, I was really intrigued by the matchup because you've got an Indiana Pacers team that boasts DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner. I was like, how are the Raptors going to handle this when, you know, Chris Boucher, he's got a pretty slight frame. Mm. So you know, how, how are you going to manage that situation? Tall, slight frame guys. We love them. On yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Stanley Johnson and OG Ananobi, they recognize that they're as strong as anyone in this league. So they use that to their advantage. They really get into the offensive player's space. And it's almost like they've learned uh, from Fred Van Vliet going up against forwards that they kind of use the same tactics against bigs where they're just constantly trying to dig at the ball and use that strength to just, you know, make them uncomfortable and just get them a few feet away from where they really want to catch it. Mm. And so I think that's something that's really helped the Raptors, just understanding where they can get productivity uh, out of the center position. And then sh- shout out to Stanley Johnson's offense as well, because uh, the defense, you know, you'd like to think that would come up, uh, along with his frame, but offensively, he's got a bit of that point forward game as well. And, uh, you know, the last few games, he's been racking up some assists. So, uh, yeah, that's something that's added something to the Raptors offense as well. Pascal Siakam. Where are you at with mm-hmm. him? And is the shooting just, just done this year? You know, I hate to say the shooting is just done when we've got so much to go in the season, but it has been an up and down year for him. Obviously, he started out pretty poorly, and you're thinking, man, is that bubble Pascal Siakam just who we see now? And he snapped out of that on a West Coast trip. looked really good in those games against the Portland Trailblazers and the Golden State Warriors. And then he went back into a funk when they came back to Tampa. So it's it's been a bit of a process for him. The one thing I do like is the playmaking has really improved. His recognition of double teams has really improved, and he's able to swing that ball. So that's a step in the right direction. But you're right. The shooting, it still really needs to come along. So... We'll see where that's at. I just don't like the fact that he's lost confidence in it so quickly mm. because when he came into the season, it looked like he had worked on his stroke. And even though he initially wasn't making shots, like the process of the shot looked good. It looked like a much cleaner stroke than he had before. And now again, it looks like he's just aiming it at the basket again. Is there still like a contingent of Raptors fans that are like, he can still be a number one on a contender? Or as everyone kind of moved on, of like Pascal's probably just a number two, number three on a contender. What, um, what do you think there? And do you, and this kind of relates back to OG because when I think about the Raptors' future, and obviously there's some stuff we'll get to with Masai and his contract, but like, it's so hard to navigate roles on offense, uh, especially when you had Kawhi and a lot of these guys aren't had to play off Kawhi for a year and won a title like, like that. And then it's like, okay, Pascal stepped up, and now it's my team. And then he's kind of fallen back a little bit. And then Kyle Lowry just playing as well as he has. Like, this is my squad. We live and die by my offense. When you look at the roles of this group and what you need OG to be, because I feel like everything comes down ultimately to what OG is more so than Pascal, because I'm still – I've always I've always been kind of not – I, I shouldn't say cynical, but just I, I don't think he's a top 10 guy. I think he's probably somewhere in that 20 to 30 range. Um, I, I just wasn't a believer. And I love the spin moves. Don't get me wrong. Love Pascal spin moves, but uh, not enough for me. And OG, you look at it and you're like, well, if they 
if Nick Nurse develops OG because of what he has skill set wise, like, yeah, he has top 10 ceiling. But you have to, like, entrust mm. him. And you have to, uh, on this team that's just littered with veterans, littered with Kyle uh, Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, um, Aaron Baines, Mark. And he needs an opportunity to kind of lead like he did in summer league a couple years ago. We're at point four, but like this is not a bad team where he can just learn on the fly and experiment and stuff like that. He had to work his way back in the rotation. He's playing with smart basketball players. I, I just wonder how much you can develop somebody like that when you have so many talented, smart players around him at all times that kind of keep him in check. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I hear you. I would like to think that most reasonable Raptors fans are, have accepted that Pascal is not a number one guy. But I Which would also okay, say that... he's still really good. Exactly, right? And that's exactly the point I was going to get to. I don't think this was... The, the last two seasons have been about, okay, we have to make Pascal Siakam a number one option. I don't think that's what the Raptors front office was saying. I think once Kawhi Leonard decided to move on... They said, we need to plan for the 2021 offseason. And part of that planning is going to be learning as much as we can about our young core. How good can Fred Van Vliet be? How good can Pascal Siakam be? How good can OG Ananobi be? So it wasn't about, okay, we need these guys to be specific things. It's just, hey, we're going to give them the keys and we're going to see how far they can run with it. We've learned a lot about Pascal Siakam. I think we're going to learn a lot more about OG Ananobi this season. And we've learned quite a bit about Fred Van Vliet as well. So I think just knowing that information is what will allow the Raptors to make the most of their cap space this upcoming offseason. Obviously, there's no Giannis, but there's still going to be other players in play. I think Victor Oladipo is someone who could fit the Raptors really nicely, and that's a piece that they might look at. And you know, I, I think he would address a lot of the needs that the Raptors have right now. Are you worried at all about their depth? Like one injury to one of their main pieces in this season goes off the rails again. It's possible. I mean, it, it doesn't even, we're seeing over the course of this season that it doesn't even have to be an injury, right? Yeah. You look at the way the reasons guys are missing games. You get a week with COVID, obviously no one wants to see that, but yeah, this is definitely a team that has a very thin margin for error. And the one thing I will say is it's maybe not as thin as I once thought. You know, when, when they got out to that 2-8 and eight start, it was it, I had the feeling that, oh my God, every single player from that core group has to have a really good game for them to win. But we've seen as, them, as they've figured out their rotation and other guys have stepped up in Chris Boucher and Stanley Johnson and Utah Watanabe, you know, I think they've realized that okay, there's enough here where you know maybe we need three, maybe four guys to step it up consistently, and then everyone else can just fill in uh, whatever's missing. Yeah. Last thing, and we'll uh, we'll wrap up. And I should that. add, yes. you know, that's within the context of them being you know somewhere in that a six to eight seed. Mm. Yeah, you know, maybe that means them playing in a play-in tournament, but. You know, I, I definitely don't think they're one of the top, you know, three or four teams in the East anymore. No, I don't think so either. Um, 
Masai Ujiri, what do you think mm-hmm. is happening here in the next year? <laughs> ah, this is a fun question. I think Masai Ujiri ultimately is going to commit to the Raptors. I just don't think it's going to be a very long-term commitment. I think he's going to keep his options open. He, I, I, So much of what he's done over the past few years have been far bigger than the Raptors, far bigger than basketball. The way he's been able to give back to the continent of Africa as a whole uh, with the Basketball Without Borders program um, and the Giants of Africa program, I think that's going to be more and more of a priority for him. And if it gets to a point where, you know, this just takes too much away from his his day to day, then I could see him move on. And, and I don't mean to another team. I could just see him moving on to, you know, bigger things than the NBA. And so, yeah, if that, if that's something that's on the table, then so be it. But, you know, I I think at this point he's cemented his legacy in Toronto I don't think he'll, he'd like to leave on this note with the team sort of in no man's land and trying to figure out where to go. I think he'd like to set it up nicely again for the future. And with that in place, then I could see him start to think about moving on. And you've got someone under him who seems like he's been interviewing. I forget. What is his name? He's interviewed a couple Bobby times. Webster. Bobby Webster. Bobby Webster, that's it. So I, I would assume that that's the transition plan. It's like he's, when Masai ultimately leaves, that he's going to just take over, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's what everyone's hope is. You hope uh, that he's not getting antsy about potential opportunities. As you've mentioned, he is getting called for interviews for different jobs. And so if Masai does commit for a few more years and in that time Bobby decides, hey, I'm tired of waiting kind of thing and He's also There's, Hawaiian, so does he want to put up with any more of this Toronto winter bullshit? Could he just be like, you know what, I'm out. I'm out of this winter stuff. Yeah, I mean, again, so this is where like the winter stuff gets overplayed, right? Like, <laughs> it, it, it's really just not that big a deal for these players. I mean, mm. I would I would go as far as to argue Oh, I just meant this. for personally. I meant personally, like not even for the players. I'm just saying the winter stuff of it is just like, do I want to keep living in Toronto? Do I, do I yeah, want this no, for myself? I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, he, he spent a lot of his life in New York. And so New York and Toronto, they're, they're not that different. And so no. I think he, he genuinely loves it in Toronto. A lot of people love it in Toronto. And the one thing I will say is I would go as far as to say, if the Raptors were still in Toronto for this season, you would have seen at least one of Marcus Gasol or Serge Ibaka came, come back. You know, everyone's like, oh, in the free agency, no one wants to come to Toronto, this and that. The Raptors not being in Toronto actually hurt them in free agency. Hmm. Interesting. All right, Vivek. Is there anything you'd like to uh, plug before we wrap up here today? Uh, you can find all my work at Complex Canada and CBC Sports as well. Uh, listen to the Locked On Raptors uh, podcast. And besides that, you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Thanks so much for having me, Chase. All right, man. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you making the time, sir. Uh, have a great rest of your week and stay safe out there. Thanks. You too. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.
Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.